I'm going to read two scriptures this morning. One, a psalm of David in Psalm 51, his, his very famous psalm of repentance. I'm going to be reading from the Revised Standard Version. Psalm 51, beginning with verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy steadfast love, according to thy abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned, and done that which is evil in thy sight. So that thou art justified in thy sentence, and blameless in thy judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. It's speaking about original sin, that uh, every human born under Adam's fallen race is born a sinner. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward being. Therefore teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Perch me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Fill me with joy and gladness. Let the bones which thou hast broken rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Put a new and right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners will return to thee. Looking now in the New Testament, the book of Galatians. Chapter 6, beginning with verse 5. For each man will have to bear his own load. For each one will have to bear his own load. Let him who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I think David was a guy that uh, could get weary in well-doing. The Bible said that David had a perfect heart before God, and yet, really, a lot of times, rather than walk in his calling, he turned his back and he chose sin. And whenever he chose sin, there was a lot of heartache in the land. He was a character that we've been studying all weekend on the retreat. And uh, my, my brother Doug has been giving some astounding messages on the richness of his life. Here are some of the things that Doug taught us this weekend, and they were still going. The only reason I have a robe on this morning is because I have on my grubby retreat clothes and I didn't get time to change. So now you know the secret behind my piety today. 
Underneath are these, uh, what the Mainers call my main moccasin slippers, the wicked, wicked good main moccasins I'm wearing today. So I'm praying that the Lord will even deal with my wickedness that I have on my feet here. But today uh, I came to you straight from the retreat. I did have to stop and see Darina. There's something about after you've lived with only men for three days, I just wanted to see my wife's face, you know. She did not want me to see her face, however. She, I told her I was coming straight to the church. So I opened the door and I went up and I said, Darina, I shouldn't have done that. Honey, if you'd like to come forward to have people lay hands on you for trauma, I'm sorry, but I just had to see your face today. We've been having such a great time. Doug talked about how men face giants in their lives and they don't know what to do with them. David is asking God to cleanse his heart. You know, before he could do what he was supposed to do in his life, he needed God to cleanse his heart. Have you ever prayed that prayer that God would cleanse your heart? And he said, Lord, you know the thoughts I think in my secret heart. You know things that the preacher never sees. I mean, face it, all of us come into church, we put on our smiles, we put on our, our, our Sunday clothes, we don our fellowship face a little bit, you know. But we're facing the giants. There might be big things, big battles that we're in, but we're not talking about those things. We put on what Dr. David Siemens calls super you face. Kind of like, you know, in the phone booth, we throw the cape on. We've got the S on here. This is my super face at church, but you're probably not getting to what really is deep down and in there. And David said, Lord, that stuff I got deep down and in there, my hatred, my failures, my Stupid acts which dishonored your name. Would you take all that stuff and would you create in me a clean heart? Don't turn me away. Don't take your spirit away from me. Create in me a clean heart. Now Doug began to talk about David and he said there, I think he said there were 69 references to David in chapters in the Old Testament. 69, that wins, I think. And then there are another 50-something in the New Testament. So there's all this literature about David, but David had to humble himself. He was a mess. I want you to think about David. Do you know that when Samuel was looking for a king, he went to Jesse's house, and all the other brothers got an audience with Samuel to see if they could be king, and David was out back with the sheep. They never let him in there. You know, when I thought it was tough sleeping with men all weekend, you know, but sleeping with the sheep, I mean, tell you now, that's uh, if you sleep with the sheep, you probably smell like the sheep. I'm, I'm just saying, you know, you don't think so, do you? Are you believing me this morning? I think so. <laughs> Jesse didn't want Samuel the prophet to, to smell the sheep, son. So David never got an audience. You know how David got an audience? He was bringing cheese and bread for the refreshments of the troops. Now, do you know what was happening with the troops? They were in the valley of the land of the giant Goliath. 
And for 40 days, Goliath walked out there, and it said his spear was like that beam on a weaving loom. His spear was like a weaver's beam. Huh? That's a big dude is all I got to say. I would say if I had a sermon to preach on Goliath, it would be one rude dude in a crude mood. (laughs) And he said, so tell me who in Israel going to fight one-on-one with me. If he can, the Philistines will be subject to you. But if I beat the person you send up against me, all that belongs to the people of God will be mine. That means God. That's who belongs to the people of God. God is the treasure of Christians today. Christ is your treasure. He belongs to you. Goliath didn't know what he was asking for. You know, in Ephesians it said, had the princes of this world known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory because he rose to everlasting life and conquered death, hell, and the grave. That's the way it was with Goliath. He said, everything that belongs to the children of God are going to be mine. Okay, you want God? Here he comes. Forty days he walked out and shamed the people of God. And David came to bring refreshments. And here comes Goliath. And when David turns to give the refreshments to his brothers, they all ran. He's the only one left out there. The sheep son. One stinking little shepherd boy. Well, I don't think he probably was little. It said he was, was a handsome guy and ruddy. Kind of ruddy means color in the face, you know? He was a guy that wasn't, uh, you know, he doesn't look like Pastor Ron. The kids all put on sunglasses when I wore my shorts to the boardwalk. That's not ruddy. That's white, white, white. Now this guy, in other words, was an outdoorsman. He lived outdoors. He fought outdoors with those who would oppose the sheep. He said, the bear and the lion, I killed them with my hands. And they said, you can't kill that giant. And now he's face to face with the giant. Forty days, the giant had paralyzed the people of God. They were cowards. They ran. And the next thing you know is David is getting down very low. He's on his knees and on his face, leaning in the stream to pick out five stones. I don't know why five. Doug said he read an article where it said Goliath had four brothers, but uh, I don't read it in scripture. It's probably just, I mean, you know, it's, it's good imagination. I just don't, I don't want to preach it to you as the gospel this morning. I don't know. If it was me getting those, I think if all I have is a stone, I better pick a few of them out. But I don't even know if that's the gospel. He got five stones. Said they were smooth stones. And he stood up and he walked towards Goliath. And he said, you come to me with a spear and a sword. But I come to you in the name of the living God. Do you know what I think David discovered in his own heart when he he prayed his prayers like the one I read to you this morning? I think David said, wait a minute. 
if the book is true, who is the real giant? God is the real giant. Goliath is a dwarf compared to God. He said, okay, you want all that God's children have? We got God, and he's going to come for you. Wow. Now, Doug said he also read an article. I'm going to get the book that he read. I'd like to see it. He said Goliath threw his head back in such a belly laugh that it, it, it made his cap slip to the side right where the stone went in the center of his forehead. You going to throw your head back and laugh at God? Guess what? God is going to take you down. Brothers and sisters, who is the giant in the land? Now, now, Doug asked our men, and it was a powerful moment in our men's life. He said, men, what giants are you facing today? Who are they? What is the giant? Let me ask you, brothers and sisters, what is the biggest adversary you're living with this morning? What is it? What's the thing that's too big for you? What's the thing that makes your faith shake like the children of Israel because you don't believe you can get over it? You can't face it. And I want to ask this question. Do you believe God is bigger than the giants? The giants are dwarves compared to him. Well, if that's true, don't you think it's time to face your giants today? Don't you think you need to come to them and say, you're too big for me. I can't deal with it. But I come to you in the name of the living God. And the giant went down. Now, do you know how the Bible says David killed Goliath, though? I'm, I'm, leading, I, I, I'm, I'm reading literally from the text in Samuel. It says, Goliath hit the ground, and David took Goliath's sword and cut his head off. He killed the giant with his own weapon. And you know the Bible says David kept the sword? And I'll tell you what else it said. This is a little gruesome. I guess these are the things you can talk about on men's retreat, but maybe, you know, morning church. But I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> David carried his head around and showed everybody that was a coward and afraid to face the giant. Look what God did. And I'm going like, oh. Look. David wanted to be the best he could be. And he knew there was only one word for the recipe to be the best he could be, and that was God. Now, I want to I get quickly into this. You know, this is the weekend they're preparing for the Super Bowl. Proof that God is a God of love is there's a row of the Kansas City Chiefs and there's a row of the New England Patriots right behind them. And they're worshiping the living God today. I think they love one another too. Can you believe the difference between a Super Bowl? Could be whether you put your hand over the line when you're kneeling and you're getting ready to play or whether your hand is back on the other side. Could be whether the referees are watching how quick the football gets to the player. If there's any proof that it's all fallible, just watch the instant replays of who gets to the next game or not. It's been awful 
You know, life is awful like that. David wanted to be the best he could be, and he prayed that God would take every encumbrance from him. You know, I had the chance to go and study in Greece, and I never even prepared for it. I just, I just got an invitation to go be with people, and I, I was over there several times, and one of the trails I, I studied, I, I went on a study of the early Olympic trails, and you know what they told me in Greece? A lecturer from the University of Athens said that uh, after they had a few Olympics, they began to do them naked. Does that that surprise you? That surprised me. I was kind of just listening half-heartedly. And then they said they ran the marathon naked. You know, I thought, I don't think I'd like to see a Super Bowl naked. I don't. I don't think I'd ever go. Don't think I'd watch one instant replay on television. That's kind of gross, isn't it? And so, so somebody asked the question, why in the world did they do that? They said they believed in the purity of human capability, but human capability can never hit its highest with anything that would encumber them. And they translated that to be clothes. There are some strange things in history that go on. I mean to tell you that right now. But do you know the Bible picks up that language from Greece? It says if you're going to run the race of life, you've got to lay aside every encumbrance. And everybody in Greek culture understands they're talking about the Olympiad and they're saying, get naked. Strip yourself. Don't put any veneer between you and God. It's just you face to face. David prayed that prayer. When I'm naked and there's nothing between us, that's the way I want to be your man so that you have everything that I have and that I am and that I am not. And if I can be that, Maybe I can be your man. And the Greeks thought, if I can have that, if I can lay aside every encumbrance, maybe I can be the best athlete I can be. And then the writer of Scripture says, and when you run the race of life, lay it all down. Lay it all aside. You know, I thought about that. It's not exactly the Olympics, but... The biggest athletic event in the world, as far as TV viewership goes, is the Super Bowl. It costs more money to advertise on the Super Bowl. That's especially true about the United States, because there are a lot of people, there are times when the World Cup gets extremely high too, but in the Super Bowl, you pay the highest dollar for advertising. Why? Because you've got the biggest viewership. Super Bowl. You know, there's a Super Bowl called Life. And it reminds me of the earthly Super Bowl. It does. I'm serious. Some of you aren't going to like me. And I have to remind you that I'm an Eagles fan, but I believe what I'm saying is true. Nobody knows how to devise a special game plan like Bill Belichick. Nobody. I didn't hear an amen where I was expecting one from. (laughs) However, I think it's a true story. 11 Super Bowls for the franchise. Brady, I think, in his ninth. And all I want to say about that is that guy 
can devise a game plan. You know, to win a Super Bowl, that's the difference between the W and dumb luck. You don't often win with dumb luck. Maybe sometimes you might, but you don't often. In life, don't rely on dumb luck. You got to have a game plan. You got to have a game plan, and it's a special game plan to accomplish what you want to accomplish. You know what the word says where you get your game plan? You study to show yourself approved. Do you know how many hours of film that Belichick and those are studying on the Los Angeles Rams and vice versa? Hours. It's grueling. How many hours do we study to try to be God's man? Where else can we go, Lord? You're the only one who has words of life. But do you know 51% of every professing Christian in America only goes to Sunday morning church? That means all the Bible you get is what you hear in the sermon. When really, Paul said to Timothy, you have to study to show yourself approved. You know where we study? In the small groups, in Engage, and in two of the adult Sunday school classes, in Crosswalk, we got to study to show ourselves approved to study. Why? Because His Word's a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. We hide it in our heart that we might not sin against God. Graham quoted, I think it was D.L. Moody when he said, Sinning will keep you from this book. But this book will keep you from sinning. That's a direct quote from the psalm writer. Your word have I hid in my heart that I what? That I might not sin against you. We have a chance, a fighting chance when we got the game plan. But do we know the plan? The staggering thing is there was a time when 88% of all Americans quoted that they were Christians and they couldn't name the first four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. No game plan. Do you think that kind of faith is going to win? If faith is the victory that overcomes the world, who's winning? The giant mocking the people of God, ravaging them? Or somebody who says, wait a minute, you're a dwarf. You're bigger than me, but you're a dwarf compared to God. And I come in the name of the living God. Sisters and brothers, what giants are you facing today? They look so much bigger than you, don't they? You can't control them, but guess who can? Your God can. Your God can handle it. For with people, things are impossible. Say the rest with me. But with God, all things are possible. Just say that last part again one more time. But with God... All things are possible. So you got to have a game plan. And then you know the second thing you have to do in the Super Bowl many times? you got to play hurt. You ever been hurt? I've never been hurt in all my life like I've been hurt by people in the churches. You ever been hurt in church? If you haven't, either you haven't attended long enough or, or, or your wits might not be 
right where they need to be in church because you're going to get hurt if you deal with people, period. Doesn't matter whether they're in this building or out of this building, you're going to get hurt. Do you know in America we're losing 15,000 pastors a year? That's the third time I've quoted that. We're losing 15,000 pastors a year. 75,000 every five years. And you know the number one thing they say? We get hurt in the church. And I want to say as a coach, well, you want the locker room thing? It sounds something like this. Suck it up, you weenie. <laughs> You're not the only one that gets hurt. But if the difference between life and death, if the difference between the giant living over you or you living over the giant, if the difference between a big W or living with an L for the rest of your life is playing hurt, then get up and get over your hurt and get back in the game. I don't want to be among those 15,000. Besides that, if I ever get hurt when I don't deserve it, there are so many times when I did deserve it and didn't get it, I don't have anything to complain about. I think it's all equal. Got to play hurt. Number three, the Super Bowl called life, you got to keep playing till the gun goes off, till the bell rings. In the last few months, I've held the hands of people on hospice that are from our church. One lady said, and it was precious to me, she said, I wished I could have gotten to know you earlier in my life. And I said, I wish I could have gotten to know you early in my life. She said, sometimes we have to live a lot of life and go through a lot of tragedy before our eyes can even see the people that are around us all the time. And I said, I know. When she breathed her last, though, she had victory. Isn't that a beautiful thing? I was president of a seminary in Jackson, Mississippi, and, and we were teaching preachers, and I had a stained glass medallion put up, and it said this. They were the last words of John Wesley, the founder of Methodism. The best of all is... God is with us. The best of all. And do you know what he said? He had a big crowd around his bed while he was dying. And he could hardly speak. He'd catch his breath and he'd say this. While I have breath, I will praise. I will praise. I will praise. I want you to say that sentence with me. While I have breath, I will praise, I will praise, I will praise. How long do you praise? Till you realize that the best of all is God is with us and his plan is perfect. It's beyond us. It's beyond our ways. Oh, I get so proud I think I'll correct him sometimes. How laughable is that? That one of us in our puny existence could dare to correct the living God. But there are a lot of people so mad at him because God didn't do right. He did right. It just didn't please us. Because he can do anything but fail. The best of all is God is with us. And when that gun sounds, if you're found praising the Lord with your life, if you're found acknowledging that there's one giant that you bow before, and his name is the Lord God Almighty, you're going to win.
In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.